Hi, I'm Michael Stibble. And I'm Nick Nanos. And welcome to another Trendline. In this episode, we've got the latest results from a 13-year tracking study on how Canadians view the performance of the federal government. Uh, Nick, I've had a quick look, and it looks like uh, the kind of report card I might hide from my parents. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, is back in 2015, so this is a 13-year study that we do with the IRPP. And, you know, back in 2015, when the Liberals were first elected, about 60% of uh, Canadians thought that the, the federal Liberal government led by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was doing a very good or good job. And what you see, 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, the numbers drop. So just think, six out of every 10 rated the Liberals doing a very good or somewhat good job in 2015. Fast forward, and now it has dropped to 27%. Wow. So, uh, so you know, what we've seen is a significant amount of hope for the Liberals at the beginning of their mandate. And it's kind of like every year they govern and they do stuff uh, that it kind of, there's just a decline in their approval rating when it comes to their performance. And, you know, right now their performance is weaker than than Stephen Harper in, uh, in mm-hmm. his last year. And his last year as prime minister in 2014, about 37% uh, thought that he was doing a very good or somewhat good job. And right now, 27% think that the Liberals under Justin Trudeau are doing a very good or somewhat good job. So speaks to why the Liberals are probably yeah. looking to reboot things in 2020 in order to turn that negative trajectory around, and uh, especially since they're in a minority territory. So one of the questions uh, you've asked is about the, the performance of the federal government uh, in terms of their international relations, um, which I, I found fascinating because we've had during... Trudeau's time, uh, he's had to deal with U.S. President Donald Trump, uh, renegotiating NAFTA, and also China, where we still have two Canadians detained after the arrest of Huawei executive uh, Meng Wanzhou. So I guess it's not going well for him. Yeah. You know, on uh, when it comes to measuring kind of Canada's international reputation and whether it's improved or not improved, the first three years of the of the Trudeau mandate, 2015, 16, 17, were actually pretty decent and stronger than any of the years pretty well under uh, under Stephen Harper. But, you know, the drop uh, between 2018 and 2019 right now, only 22 percent of Canadians think that their international reputation is improved or somewhat improved. And uh, mm. basically it's dropped in half. Uh, between 2018 and 2019 and you know the this is what's interesting about this is you know the the government was able to make headway on things like the USMCA and that being of critical importance to Canadians but it it just seemed that uh, that you know Justin Trudeau you know on a lot of these uh, kind of whenever he's out representing Canada around the world there it just seems that there's always some sort of diversion from what I'll say his core Mm -hmm. mission and uh, and and these trips are just not as successful. I'm sure he thinks they're not as successful as he'd like them to be, but they're just diversions and uh, and and mistakes and things that happen that uh, that undermine his ability to to have a significant impact. I find this fascinating because I remember when uh, Trudeau was initially campaigning uh, for his first election that he kind of presented himself as the candidate who would uh, reconnect Canada with the United Nations, with the sort of the global community after. Uh, Prime Minister Stephen Harper had, had moved away from that. I think he pledged to get us back on the UN Security Council as well and, uh, you know, re-engage with international climate change commitments. And it looks like none of that has really had a big impact on, 
on his support numbers. Yeah, well, it did have an impact in the first few years of his mandate. And, you know, what is what is fairly clear is that uh, he's an interest. Uh, Canada's place in the world is of interest to Justin Trudeau, and it's important to him as the Prime Minister of Canada. And uh, But, you know, what this does speak to is that, you know, just the last couple years just have not been as strong for Justin Trudeau as the first uh, three years that he's been prime minister. So, you know, this is another thing where he's probably going to be looking to kind of turn around this trajectory for uh, for 2020 in order to uh, in order to move these numbers. So you've, you've also looked at uh, how Canadians view the relationship between the federal government and the provincial governments. And I, I don't think this is any surprise that uh, it's not so good. Yeah. And, you know, to put this into context under Stephen Harper, you know, from 2007 to 2014, his best year was, uh, I think it was 2012, where 21% of Canadians thought that relation, the relationship between the federal government and provincial governments over the past year have either improved or somewhat improved. So his scores were never that strong. When Justin Trudeau became prime minister, we saw a massive jump in terms of the improvement numbers under Justin Trudeau compared to Stephen Harper, where about, you know, it went from 16% under Harper to 51% positive under Trudeau. And, you know, Mm-hmm. If we go back to that time, there were, I'll call them friendly governments in Quebec, a liberal government in Quebec, a liberal government in Ontario. I put the Alberta NDP government as a friendly government uh, to mm-hmm. the to the federal liberals. And uh, it looked like there was a time when uh, there was much more collaboration between the provinces and the and the federal government. But uh, with as those governments went by the wayside and uh, the liberals lost power in Quebec and Ontario and the and the conservatives regained power in Alberta, what we've seen is, you know, that 51 percent positive score has dropped to 12 percent which is basically mm-hmm. kind of like a Stephen Harper number when it comes to federal-provincial relations. And the last two years have just not been strong on that front in terms of the Federation. Probably explains why Christia Freeland was put in as the minister responsible. I'm sure the, I'm sure Justin Trudeau's hoping that she can take, uh, you know, the skills that she used very effectively as the, uh, as the foreign affairs lead and on key files like the USMCA and to take those skills and apply them to the Federation in order to, uh, in order to move these numbers. So I, I expected uh, bad numbers from him in Alberta, obviously, uh, and BC as well over the, uh, the Trans uh, Mountain Pipeline issue. Uh, but it looks like Ontario is not as strong for him as, as I would have expected. Was that a surprise to you? Yeah, well, you know, the thing is, is that Ontario is critical to the Liberals federally. Mm-hmm. But, you know, provincially with the Ford government in place, you know, I think the, the negative scores pop up to around 60 percent. They're, they're about 78 percent, I think, in, in the FedProv score is about a negative, se- negative 78 uh, percentage points in uh, in the prairies, but it's still fairly negative in Ontario, and uh, and I think this speaks to the I won't call it friction, but the uh, lack of simpatico. Why do we call it that between uh, the Ford sure. government <laughs> in Ontario and the uh, the federal Liberal government led by Justin Trudeau? Now, if you're a let's say a federal conservative leadership hopeful, and you're looking at this uh, study. What do you take from this? Uh, what can you learn from this if, if you're trying to become a, a candidate, a leader who can, uh, you know, restore Cana- Can- uh, Canadians' opinion of the federal government and our global reputation? 
Well, I think if you're a conservative, what you want to do is to put a spotlight on the liberals and basically to to try to make an assertion that, uh, you know, they have not delivered on expectations, that uh, people had hopes for Justin Trudeau and the liberals uh, at the beginning of their mandate, but they have not been able to deliver in terms of federal provincial relations or our reputation internationally, uh, or even just deliver in terms of people thinking that they're doing a, a, a good job. Uh, governing the federation, and to and to basically say that there's a, another alternative. And if you're conservative, you're going to say, you know, you can people Canadians can vote conservative, and they will the conservatives will work to help, you know, build those bridges between other conservative provincial governments like the ones in Ontario, and uh, mm-hmm. and the Alberta provincial government and the Manitoba provincial government, and for the for the conservatives to play that particular card in order to say that they could probably do a better job at trying to get, you know, this current batch, which includes a number of conservative premiers, to work together in order to advance the federation and to improve federal-provincial relations. So on the topic of conservative leadership hopefuls, uh, just looking at Aaron O'Toole and Peter McKay, we've seen some old conservative talking points on their Twitter feeds. I think Aaron O'Toole was talking about uh, more social conservative issues like cancel culture, which is a bit interesting. Uh, do you think that stuff is going to engage with voters? Well, it's probably going to engage with people that uh, are going to vote in a conservative leadership. And let's let's you know, if we were to unpack things, you know, think of mm-hmm. conservative politicians at one end of the spectrum, and just behind them would be Canadians who are members of the Conservative Party of Canada. Uh, who would vote in a leadership race. And then Canadians that are not members of the Conservative Party, but that would vote for the Conservatives. There's usually a bit of a gap where when you look at the parliamentary party and also the card-carrying party members of any political federal party, that they tend to be a little more ideological than your everyday Conservative voter who just tilts conservative because they just think that it's a better choice. And this same thing happens in the Liberal Party, right, in terms of the ideology versus non-ideology. And I think what uh, what Aaron O'Toole is doing is uh, laying out a strategy that will appeal to a certain proportion of card-carrying members of the Conservative Party, something that would mm-hmm. also appeal to members of the Parliamentary Party for the Conservatives in the House of Commons, because he knows that he's got to win that if he's going to have a chance or have any kind of chance there's to to try to become leader. So I think uh, he's doing this on purpose and that it's uh, very carefully thought out and that he wants to stake out the territory uh, as a true blue conservative in order to appeal to the base, the base that will be voting in the next conservative leadership. But he's got to watch out that he doesn't go too far because it'll undermine his ability to be politically viable if he does win the leadership. Uh, because he might be portrayed as being too right-wing. Yeah, I should add also that Aaron O'Toole and Peter McKay have both said that they will march in pride parades, uh, which is a, a big difference between uh, the the previous Conservative Prime Minister. Yeah, and I and I think this is a tip of a hat to, you know, for the Conservatives, what they need to do, their, their breakthrough has to be not, uh, in suburban 
Canada and also among women voters. You know, for the Conservatives to win the next election, they need to do well among men, which they usually do naturally do well among male voters, but they need to be competitive among women. And I think uh, some, of these, uh, some of these issues, like the Gay Pride Parade, uh, is basically issues that are more likely to align with how many women feel and uh, also progressive voters that might be fiscally, fiscal conservatives, but they're not necessarily social conservatives. And I think, you know, these are the type of voters that the conservatives need to try to appeal to in order to defeat the federal liberal government. All right. Last question for me on, on the conservative leadership race. Uh, we saw over the past week, uh, Peter McKay had a, a bit of an awkward moment with uh, CTV National News reporter Heather Wright, where the interview abruptly uh, ended by his handlers, even though it looked like he wanted to continue. I don't have the opportunity always to vet every single thing that goes on that social media account, so we're going to do better. And in that, okay. I, I okay, think so we're done. You just went um, way over. I'm sorry. Uh, That's uh, quite. He said civility. I, I mean, she's just doing her job. She's a journalist. I'm doing my job, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Made a decision that we'd like to um, stop the interview. Okay. Uh, we kind of see this when politicians have a bit of a uh, you know difficult relationship with with the media with reporters. It, how do voters sort of see that kind of kind of tension? Well, I I did watch the CTV interview and what transpired, and I think Peter McKay was probably just as surprised as everyone else when his handler or communications advisor or staff or whatever you want to call them mm -hmm. abruptly interrupted the uh, the interview. It was clear that, you know, and I think he even said, I know that you've got a job to do. And uh, I almost thought that he was going to sit down and continue the interview. But, you know, <laughs> right. what this does is uh, it doesn't re reflect well on him because people wonder what type of advisors that he has. And, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, Canadians welcome a politician that's open and uh, can roll with the punches and that's not afraid and is not as contrived. And, uh, you know, I think for anyone that's followed uh, Peter McKay's career, he's been a very forthright, open individual uh, who hasn't mm -hmm. really run away from the media very much. So this was very unlike him. But what mm -hmm. the problem is now is that people are starting to question uh, what I'll say, the competence of the team uh, and the organization of the team uh, who's advising him. So, you know, I think he, uh, you know, assuming that he's still in as, uh, as a leadership contender, he's probably going to have to look at, you know, the type of advice that he's getting in order to make sure that he's getting advice to, to ensure that if he does happen to win the leadership, that he looks like a prime minister in waiting and not someone that is uh, prone to, uh, to run into controversy. Well, that's it for me, Nick. So what's your big takeaway for this episode? My big takeaway at this episode is looking at the long term, the 13-year trend. Uh, the liberals are vulnerable. There's a negative trajectory. They need to turn their numbers around in 2020 because we're in a minority government. And at the same time, it's not smooth sailing for the conservatives. They're going through a leadership. Peter McKay's had a, hit a few bumps, and he's the front runner currently. And the conservatives have to do a good job. So 2020 is up in the air. And uh, for our listeners, if you want to read more about this 13-year tracking study that Nick did with the Institute for Research on Public Policy, we've got a lot more on our website, ctvnews.ca. And Nick, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Nick, N-I-K, Nanos, or on the web at www.nanos.co. And I'm on Twitter at Michael Siddle. 
This episode was produced by Trevor Coral, Jesse Taharali, and Phil Hahn. Our executive producer is Liz Travers. Sound editing was done by Jesse Taharali. This show is hosted by Nick Nanos and myself, Michael Stittle. As always, thanks for listening. <laughs>